Do you ever struggle with your fuzzy brain? I do. Welcome to the Uncluttered Office Podcast. Here I share what I've discovered from my challenges with ADHD and chemo brain. I'm your host, Katherine Avery. I'm a former Wall Streeter, now certified productive environment specialist and ADHD productivity coach with well over 20 years of experience in business, office design, and productivity. I'm a badass cancer survivor and thriver, wife, mom of a teen and a cat, and a lifelong geek. I'm old enough now to be proud of it. I've learned that whether we lose our keys, misplace our files, or constantly forget our appointments, we can design a work and home life that is simpler, easier, and fits who we are with our unique brains. I believe that to be truly productive, we need to learn how to be intentionally unproductive. A strange twist for a productivity coach. But hey, I love to ski, sail, and surf. Listen in and learn how to streamline your space and systems so you can be more focused, organized, and have more time to be intentionally unproductive. Gwen Catherine Avery of ProductivityByDesign.com and your host of the Uncluttered Office podcast. I'm here today with Leah Zimmerman, who is absolutely fascinating. You're going to love getting to know her. Leah is in the world of communication, particularly difficult conversations. So she started paying attention to how people communicate when she was a child. And as an adult, has continuously sought to be the adult she had wanted for herself and to help others to grow into themselves as well. She blends a background in education, theater, and leadership to help people feel heard, communicate in difficult conversations, and grow into the personal power and leadership needed to live a fulfilling life. Hi, Leah. Hey. How are you? I'm so psyched you're here. Thank you for having me. I'm I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm super excited because... You have this really interesting background in theater and education. And I think what's really important is to see that leadership roles don't always come strictly from, I worked in some corporate job with the floppy bow tie on my blouse. You're coming from a whole different area, which is this world of theater and education. And I would love to talk about how did you get from there to here? That's great when you... You mentioned something else, a part of that, which is leadership, not always coming from here's what I accomplished. And what came up for me when you were saying that is realized recently how naivete has served me so well. I was encouraged to go into teaching. I had a natural knack for it. I was great with kids. By the time I graduated college, I had a two-page resume of things that I'd done working with children in Jewish schools. I had run a Teach for America program. I had done things in the local public schools. I had done internships in museums. I had uh, worked with television, children's television workshop, the three, two, one department there in college. I had this like tremendous resume that of course it was easy for me to go to school, but I didn't want to be the kind of teacher that I had experienced because I, like you mentioned, I started paying attention when I was a child. This isn't working. This is Mm. making us feel bad. I don't think teachers are supposed to make us feel bad. I don't think adults are supposed to be making children feel bad. That was my instinct. And I wanted to be different. So I went into museum education because I had great experience interning at the Metropolitan Museum of Art in their student programs. 
And I was like, this is a kind of opening thinking, a creativity. I want to see how other people think. And I want to be able to facilitate that. And that is where, for me, leadership and teaching and education really converge. And I'd say that's one of the best kinds of training you can get for leadership can be in teaching because you meet yourself in that classroom every day. I don't want to be grumpy. I don't want to yell. I don't want to be that kind of adult. Okay, then what am I going to have to do? Oh, I'm going to have to face something about myself. Shoot. It was hard because I didn't want to, it wasn't the child's fault. And that was just so embedded in me. That can't be the child's fault. The child Mm. needs me to help guide them. How do I show up to help them do better, to help them learn, to help them rise? And I was fascinated by how they think. I loved facilitating writing classes. And other things, my very first year teaching, I would created this little space for all of them to showcase their talent on Friday afternoon. We would just call it showtime and everyone could get up and tell a joke, sing a song. I actually just had coffee with one of my first graders who used to get up and sing the same song. She's an actress in LA now. So we went out for coffee the other day. That was really nice. Very what was her song? She, it, this was in the early 90s and she used to sing A Whole New World. Oh, and, and that's so quiet, sweet. Gentle child, a whole new world, a dazzling place. And now she's quirky and funny and hilarious. And she you'll see her one day on television and doing things because she's shooting and she's writing and uh, she's amazing. So it was great to uh, to connect with her. Oh, you know what? I just realized separate later, I want to remember to connect you with her. I just thought of a connection that would work for both of your podcasts. Oh, wow. I love that. What fun. Yeah. What fun. Now, I know that you've had to step back a little bit from doing theater right now, and you're actually looking into doing some voiceover work. Right. So I'm just connecting. I answered your question of how education led me in this direction. Okay. So, yes, I am in Southern California. And when I moved here from New York, I had, theater wasn't something I grew into. It was the thing I had to get the courage to do. Once I had become that adult who I wanted to be, I was able to do that for myself and say, Mm. oh, wait, I know who I am. I've always wanted to be an an actress in shows. I was a dancer and I was great at doing the characterizations, but I want to speak on stage too. And I've always wanted to sing on stage and those lessons never really got me where I wanted to go. And so I focused really on that. So when we left New York, I had created a world for myself where I could balance work, mommy, theater, singing. I had my communities. I had all these balls juggling in the air. And my husband got a tenure track position in Southern California, and I was devastated. But wow. here in Southern California, there is so much. It's a, talent, it's a little nest of talent. There's so many right. community theaters right around me. I, for the first four years, assumed they all auditioned in L.A. because that's what would be true in New York. They don't. They audition where they are. Wow. You go to any audition and any theater in different places. And so that has been a big part of my life and was amazing to find. And as my kids got older, to really be able to do it in my transition between my former position and the coaching, as I start to coach, I would do more. But now I'm really committed to building this business. I really want to show up for people. I really feel there's something... Again, like the teaching did that's wanting to express itself, to hold space. I feel like I'm a big escalator. Like I just send people up the escalator to the top, you know, like 
top of this mountain, like it's outside my window. And it's just like, that's what coaching feels like. And I feel like that's in me right now, but I never do this easily and say, I'm doing one without the other. So a young woman, an actress who we did the diary Van Frank together. She was Anne. I was Mrs. Van Dam. If you know the, that means I was Peter's mom. It was very fun. And we've stayed in touch and she has a BAFTA, which is like the UK Academy Award for voiceover. Wow. So she's established and she's building a voice coaching. So she was looking for some new clients. So we established a barter and I'm nice. her certain areas of theater where she hasn't had the same success that she's had in voiceover and in the leadership of being a coach in a business and in her life. And she's helping me get to know the voiceover industry and learn how to use the mic and the editing stuff and where the auditions get listed. And so that is kind of fun. And I have gotten a lot of people who are listening can hear the quality in my voice, that my voice is such a specific kind of voice and I should do voiceover. And Mm -hmm. I have the range. I can go and be all cute and funny and little. But I also can be really low. And this is really where I lead a meditation from. So I have the range and the fun right. with my voice. So I feel like I can really enjoy that. I think I could for a while. At some point, I'll want to be on stage again. Right. And then I'll be sad because I'll leaving something else to go do that. But there are the good choices that make us sad. Right. And it's funny because there's 50 directions I'd love to take this in, but I'm just going to stick with this idea <laughs> of choices. And one of the big things I talk about with my clients, and I'm sure you do do too, is boundaries and how in order to say yes to one thing, you have to say no to something else. Yeah. Or, you know, in order to be able to say yes to something, you do have to say no to something else. And so it's, if we're not saying no to things that aren't exactly where we want to direct our energy right now, then we are missing out on other opportunities that might come along to say yes. So for example, if you hadn't said, look, right now, I'm not going to be doing community theater, you might have missed this opportunity to do voiceover work instead. Mm -hmm. And I think the beauty of the voiceover work, I assume, is that you're not in rehearsals four hours a day, five days a week, which gives you more time to be able to focus on the coaching. So as much as I want to like go play and singing and vocal variety and theater, I think the big takeaway for me out of that message is this, that we we have to focus. We have to choose what do we value? You know, where are we taking a stand in our lives? And then make our choices based off of that. And sometimes our choices help us understand what we care about. So mm. I often use my choices as like an archaeological tell. So I was working so hard, auditioning, going and doing things, performing anywhere I could to build that resume in my 20s, early 30s. And I think it was in 1999, I got cast in an equity showcase, which was a higher quality black box kind of thing I could do with actually some really good people in a great space with a great director and a Shakespeare thing that I really wanted to do. But one of the dates of the performances was the same date as our friend's marriage. Wow. I couldn't miss it. Of course not. I should have missed it. I don't think I've ever regretted it. Even though they're divorced and they don't even talk to each other and they hate that I talk to both of them. They're like, (laughs) even that doesn't make me feel sad that I chose going. 
And there was a time one day where I was living in this story that I can never do what I want and no one has supported me or whatever my story was at that particular moment, because I've had a lot of that, that I was like, but look, I chose that. Right. And then when I was doing all that running around and auditioning, I never really wanted to leave New York City because I liked living with my husband. We had a life there. He was in school. He's an academic, so he was doing his PhD. So my income mattered. And if I dropped right. it to go out, I could pick it up, but it wouldn't be as fast. It would be slower. I think that sometimes we can look back on the choices that have made us. And I have to say there are more choices that make me than I make. The big life ones make me, I don't really decide I'm not doing theater anymore. My body decides, Leah, you can't move. You're not doing theater right now. Or I just feel this pull and absolute that it's not a hard choice because it just makes me. But then I look back at some of those choices that I made that are that happened because they made me. Right. And I go, oh, look, this really points to, yes, this matters. And if it was possible to be a working, busy, professional actress while being home and while also expressing other parts of myself or not being super exhausted, yeah, I would, it would look different. Right. But this is the nature of the business. And yeah. at I can love what I do and doing it and want to do it professionally and care about my excellence in it and not have to be in the business. But that goes back to something else you said early, which was not feeling that we had to come from a job to prove the leadership. And that's right. certain naivete that I feel like I've lived with my whole life is that I've never felt that I needed to get those trophies. Right. Maybe college a little bit. Definitely my senior year of high school, I wanted a good name college. And now sometimes I don't even mention it because it doesn't matter Right. more that I was in New York City than actually where I went. And I think that that has helped me. I haven't had that feeling like I need mm. to go prove that I can do this or I need to make sure I'm earning a certain amount or I need a certain kind of letters next to my name. I had a relative who said to me, Leah, aren't you too smart to become a teacher? <sighs> Ouch. Don't we need smart teachers? Hello. Yeah, but I'm, and some of the things I feel also that I want to bring to people's attention these days is I'm one of those people who did five years. There are other things I want to go do, but I'll go back. I never went back. Because mm. it is the hardest thing ever to do. And why would I ever choose that when I can have <sighs> such a good life elsewhere? My sister was a teacher. I was looking at her in awe. I'm like, what? Some people are better made to be teachers than I am. I don't, I'm not good. That same aspect of like, I didn't need to prove something or get a name. I don't work in a box very well. Right. So I don't work and schools very much about how to meet the needs of the children right. within the needs of the institution and the needs mm. of the institution always come first. Right. And that conflict was too, was a lot for me. And then I'm also just not as extroverted as I might seem. I'm right. very social. But a whole day with people talking and teaching in elementary school and they need something for you. I'm like on the floor by the end right. of the day. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't. I did once do a show while I was teaching and I was like this at rehearsal. I mean, I just remember sleepwalking. That's way too many people. <laughs> I can't people that long. Just can't do it. It's just too much. It was right. just too much. So. I care about it and I'll be an advocate for it. But right. um, the school systems are not always, they're not ever designed with children first. Right. They're designed just to meet our needs. 
as a society. And within that, try to serve children to varying degrees that they serve the child first. And that person-centeredness is what was in me when I was young and is the through line. The creativity, the strength, and my utter belief that when we can support each other and hold space for somebody, they can ride up that escalator to excellence and to their heights and their potential and potential so overused, but to their higher self, but also possibilities of themselves they never dared imagine or let themselves imagine. That's what I think education can be. Right. Wouldn't it be great? I would contend that you still are an educator, just in a different way. And that's how I look at it for me. When I was in grade school, I was sure I was going to be an English lit teacher. That was my goal. I was going to be a professor at a campus and and teach English literature. And that's not where my career path took me. I ended up going on a long detour through Wall Street, then interior design. And now here I am. As a coach of productivity. Well, interior design coach. I think we have some similarities here. <laughs> right? Here, a little bit of switches. A creative aspect. Right. And, and one of the things that, I, that makes me think of is that what you just said is that when we go to college, these things are all have different names and they're in different buildings. But in right. life, they're not different parts of ourselves. They're not mm. compartmentalized. Ooh, now I'm going to be litish, English literature person. And now I'm going to be Wall Street person. And now I'm going to be interior design person. It's like we, it's a way of thinking. It's the things that light us up. And our brain doesn't care that we call these and categorize them in our world and in universities and different buildings. And yet I was always working with office stuff. So I've always been either in corporate or then designing office spaces and then helping with productivity in office spaces and then coaching because I love people. I love that idea of helping them up the escalator, sending them on their way, allowing them to become who they're meant to become. And it's coaching is such a gift. It's such a privilege to be a coach because you're really holding this sacred space for people as they tell their story. Yes. And they navigate their way through it. It's the anti-school, and that's my TED Talk one day, is all the things we need to unlearn from school. One of the things we learn from schools that somebody else tells us our worth and our value, whether Ooh. we got things right or wrong. And that you have to have a certain grade or be better than somebody else for it to be valued. These right. are all ways the value system is set up in school. But what we realize once we're out of school is, and you know that if you do this podcast, Every single person is so unique and different. Right. And the treasure trove. And that thing they think is the most embarrassing thing about them, that thing they hide really deep and never talk about. Right. I use the metaphor of Aladdin's lamp. It's the thing they stuff in the lamp, stick away, mm. put in the dark cave, and never want to deal with. But when you take it out and you allow a space for them to gently come back to it, the genie pops out. So right. many powerful possibilities emerge and their when I say their super strength comes from that same vulnerable space. Right. And in school we don't allow it. We make that that looks weak, that's failing. Whereas mm. coaching, we celebrate it. We create space for it. And we allow people to really own more of themselves. Right. And then amazing things happen. It's awesome. And wow, would it 
school could be more like that? What if education for our children could be more like that instead of less, oh, my teacher's going to kill me because I didn't get my homework done. And why did I get this off? I did. I got the answer right. This is a stupid question and all the other kinds of things that happen, at least in my house. (laughs) I would agree. And I would contend that that's really follows us right into adulthood. We still end up carrying these stories and then, you know, they cause us stress. And then we end up in coaching or whatever we do to reduce stress. Mm -hmm. And the area you really focus on now is navigating difficult conversations. So I kind of want to go there because difficult conversations are a source of stress. I mean, anyone who's had to have one knows you can get very anxious ahead of time. You want to make sure you say the right thing. And Mm -hmm. it ends up being not just one conversation. I mean, let's face it, in connection, human connection, we're having conversations over and over right. again. And so right. it's, I think it's a skill that's not just about today, but about a lifetime. So I'd love for you to talk to that. Oh, well, to tie it with where we just were, a lot of times what's happening in conversations is we're in our story. Mm. I need you to understand. I'm always fighting for the validation or the approval or the willing someone to see me as I am because I never felt like I got that. Right. And I'm all so it's built into me to always be trying and reaching for it. So that's my deep story that I live mm. in. I want you to see me. I want you to hear me. I want you to understand me. And somebody else's I want you to hear me, understand me, and see me story is something else is I want you to appreciate what I'm saying. I want you to take my expertise seriously. I want you to know that I care. I am I have wisdom to share. One could be the child, one could be the parent, but it could be the other way around. Right. Those are the deep stories that we're really in that get stuck in difficult conversations. So what happens in a difficult conversation is we're thinking of our content and we're thinking of that point we should have said. And how can yeah. they say this? Because we're up here. But what's really going on is a conversation about needs and values and being seen and heard and understood. So when we can start to address the tectonic plates of the conversation first right, and go for the deep roots of what, what does somebody really need and let them feel heard and give them what they need and build the connection. And there's a whole lot of neuroscience in there, too, of why that connection will make a difference. The conversation changes. Mm. And the conversation is easier to have because we're coming from a place of connection, lots of oxytocin, if we can. And we want to help each other and work this out together, as opposed to I need to prove myself or I'm going to need to show you why my side makes sense. Mm. That's at the heart of what's usually going on in those difficult conversations and conflicts. Right. And I think it's a very hard thing to learn. At least, I want to make sure I say this carefully. I I think if you haven't been taught that, if you haven't grown up with those conversations being easy for whatever reason, then to learn them as a grown-up is not always easy. And maybe you do and maybe you don't. And I mean, I'm no harm, no foul. Like I'm a judgment-free zone on that. Right. But it's been interesting in my journey to see how I've had to learn how to do conversations better. And before we got on, I mentioned that I mean, they didn't teach that in first grade? (laughs) Apparently not. That's not what we talk about in schools. We don't. Well, you know, and it's interesting. I wonder, I kind of look back to my school years and I 
don't remember much other than I was the kid who always had my nose in a book. So I really didn't, didn't connect well with my classmates. I didn't, I also often didn't connect well with girls. I'm a little bit more straight to the point. You know, I don't always play nicely in the everybody share your hair bands play playground, (laughs) you know, and some of that I think is that I have ADHD, have still ADHD. And some of that I think is that I believe it or not, a lot of my friends think it's crazy. I am social like you, but I'm also introverted. So I recharge my energy by being alone. And so when I was reading a book, you know, I was off in my little fantasy land, happy as little clam, you know, in this world of make-believe. And I just didn't fit. I was a square peg in a round hole. Yeah. So I think I I missed some opportunities for connection. I had a lot of of that experience growing up and I did not feel as connected to my peers. Other, a lot of stories there. But going back to the idea that we're not taught this. Right. Or we grow up with it. No one teaches it. And and to varying degrees, what I grew up with was a family where we can have conflicts and we fight, but we always still make up because we love each other. Exactly. We're, we're going to go through it because we're going to love each other or we're going to work around difficult situations and conversations because the family comes first. Right. And that's actually, I think, one of the things that has really moved me working with family-owned businesses or people with their family conversations mm. is that mine were so rich. And a lot of that does come from conflict. I had an event happen last summer with my dad. I think I wrote about it maybe in a post, probably not a blog. Just when I was thinking you mentioned when we were just connecting uh, before we went live. Last summer, I would travel to New York. We're in California. We traveled to New York. How, why, and how, and all of that, I'm going to skip for right now, just to get to the point. And it was when people coming from California, among other states, need to quarantine. So we right. were for two weeks but the arrangement we made was my dad's house is on this shared property with a lot of other family that we have if you watch them amazing mrs mazel just think about that but everyone related that's kind of what we have up there in the catskills and um but my dad's house is a little bit more to the side this is like generations going back it was established in the 30s this place we go back and i've grown there every summer so figured, well, we won't go down to the lake because we're quarantined. We won't be around people, but maybe we'll go in the evenings. We'll go in everybody's there. We'll figure something out. But we're barely there. And my, these new rules get announced that we're staying in the house and we can't go down to the lake. And they made it sound like it was coming from the family inside the compound. Wow. Until my dad put up his own house in 2000 on an adjacent piece of property, everything else is over there by the lake. And we're gotcha. a little bit apart. So it was like, who are they, the inside the gate people, to tell us that we can't go down to the lake so we don't go on the public road. We'll stay on the private property. Right. You don't get sick because you stand on the same ground. So, you know, it. but it didn't bother me at first because there's a lot of fear. There's a lot until my daughter was devastated and right. my two daughters had been looking forward to swimming and there was things going on with the coming and going of the summer that I won't go into that affected them. And so... We're almost at the end of the quarantine period and we're sitting at dinner and my sister says, my sister gets on the soapbox for me. I'm kind of working on, you know, moving through it. And she says, well, who are they to say? And she gets all kind of worked up about it. And then my dad says, well, it was actually really more my decision because he looked at the rules and he read the rules. And it turns out it was his sisters, not everybody, but his sisters inside the compound who were the most upset. 
And he and his family dynamic is actually a mediator and makes things easier for his sisters. And he kind of moved in that direction, but not consciously. Right. And he's a more of an authority and a rule follower and looked it up and it was became more of a stickler for it. And it seemed like the sensible decision. The fact right. that us under the bus after we could have quarantined somewhere else, we could have quarantined right. planes first with my in-laws where we had no plans to go anywhere. And wouldn't be right. Better. And then the kids wouldn't have felt like they were left out from swimming at the lake, which was right there. Plan this whole thing very different. And right, exactly. And the feeling of left out was really embedding in my 14 year old who grew up here and doesn't have experience of remembering when we were more there and right. up the lake more often. And that just hit me when I realized it was my dad and my dad had thrown us under the bus in that way. It didn't only hit me in that moment. It touched every other time in my life that my dad had defaulted to meeting his needs or whoever others needs trumped mine. Right. And I felt hurt and I felt angry. And an old response would have just been to get up and walk away or to be angry and to carry it. And I got up. And I said I was hurt. I felt betrayed. And it showed in my voice. The kind of thing that I can't really do just on the spot. But it wasn't just, I feel hurt and betrayed and aggressive. It was was like a crying. It was, was, I felt, I should let the vulnerability show through. Right. That's kind of what I've evolved to. And I went off to my room and I said, we'd probably be leaving. I didn't think I could stay. I couldn't stay knowing that. I needed to get away to cool down. Right. What would I would have expected from my dad is to want to explain to me where he was coming from, to help me understand what he was really thinking. But I actually don't need help with that. I know it. I know my dad. I understand. I'll find the forgiveness. And I will. That's a big piece of family conversations is knowing when you find forgiveness and how to find that forgiveness on your own, which doesn't mean that you mean it's okay what they did. It means that you're not going to carry that anymore. Right. But when I went out, and I was finally ready because he approached me a couple times before I was ready. And we sat down and we pulled chairs together and we were alone on the porch looking out at the lake. And my dad looks at me like this. And I know some people are only going to hear me. But if I do it, maybe it'll be in my voice. And he says, with the most open eyes, I guess I, I could have, I didn't do this very, I didn't do it very well. I could probably done this much better. But when you said that you felt betrayed, I... I just want you to know I never intended that. That his hurt. And so you can see it on me now and hear it. For his hurt and what it meant to him to hear me say what I actually felt. Not your this, but what I actually felt. And when he apologized, and to the extent that he said the words, I apologize. I think he did, but I don't think it matters. It just washed everything. It washed that and years of things. Very cathartic. It was. And I was so proud of him. And I'm I'm like that he, you know, at at this ripe age of that, we're so lucky to have him alive and well. Right. I've got those. Felt that it was more important. And you know what? I don't know if he actually felt he was wrong, Hmm. but I think he knew that the relationship, this is how to show that the relationship was more important and that he cared about my feelings. He cared about my experience. And there probably was a different way to do it. And that really mattered. And now there's a reason I start telling you the story, but I do not remember it anymore. But I think it's because I was talking about how my family, we go through those things. Right. That's the most dramatic one. And someone asked me recently, were there more family difficult conversations because of the pandemic? In my family, that's a really good example of one. Oh, wow. Yeah. But the going through it changed 
our relationship. The connection was that much stronger. That evening, my dad walked over to the lake with us to sit by the lake. We were at this, he's like, for 10, 12 days at this point in the evening, I'll call over. I'll let them know we're going to go sit by the lake. Nice. Right? So what I'm a strong advocate for is that where we tend to stop ourselves or hold back because we only see conflict our, our way. Right. Or because we're fighting for against how that person's making us feel, which is why we usually stay in conflict. And sometimes that fighting is necessary. Right? Without it, you feel powerless. You have to keep that. But when you can find a way through it and find how to communicate through it, there are so many more opportunities for connection. Right. Where there's conflict, there's things that matter. And mm. if you can turn the conversation away from the disagreement, which is usually two different stories that don't click. Right. And start to hear those stories and what's going on underneath and what really matters to each, then you can start to put something together at a whole deeper level. Mm, I love that. So believe it or not, we have blown through time <laughs> here, of course. Yeah. Because you're so interesting. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Since this is technically a productivity show, do you have a favorite productivity app or strategy yeah. you use? Absolutely. My favorite strategy is to rest as hard as I work hard. Ooh. Know that rest is a part of my productivity. So when I stop, I take a rest. I put that whole societal ethic of pull yourself up, push yourself through aside, and I let myself rest. God so needed important. it after six days. True or not, it's a great story. God needed it after six days, a whole day a seventh of the time, then it's okay if I do too. That sounds pretty valid to me. It actually has changed my productivity. I'm, I'm sure so it has. When I allow myself the breaks I need. Yeah, it's that's really, nice. really important. It's a big part of what I teach is the power of the pause. Yeah. And if we don't take that time, we're, we, a friend of mine calls it filling up your well. Mm-hmm. And if your well is dry, you have nothing to give. Absolutely. Isn't that that's beautiful? Important. Yeah, there's a bucket of buckets where everyone walks around with a bucket over their head. And we're giving and taking from each other all the time. But when you have an empty bucket, you don't have patience, you don't have compassion, you don't have gratitude, you don't have anything to give anymore. And it's also the same in productivity. Like my brain sometimes just needs space. Yeah. And stop and walk outside. Yep. My favorite is to take a walk outside. Unless it's really pouring rain. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't have so that problem too often. It'll get hot in the middle of the day. So, right. and I sometimes have trouble just dragging myself outside. So I tend to just do small meditations. And go. yoga nidra is the other productivity hack that I um, have discovered, but it could be a whole other conversation. But if anyone wants to just go look it up, it's Shavasana. You lie still, you don't do anything, but it's been more transformative for me than almost anything because it also allows you to re- rewire your connection. So when working towards becoming somebody and letting go of other things, I want to be more patient. I want to have more peace. I want to be more productive. I want to show up more. You can also build those in there. I've actually done it. It's amazing. So I need to get back to it. So it's a good reminder for me. I just got my teacher certification in yoga nidra. Fantastic. Good for you. I now can lead my clients through it and make recordings that are specific for them and their own. Nice. So how can people find you, Leah? I think the easy, I'm on steppingstoolcoaching.com. 
a stepping stool is the way to remember it is the way a child step up on a stepping stool because we use the image of the escalator for coaching. So a stepping stool is very similar. It's what, and the difference is, is that client does it with me. I don't do it for them. They step on the stepping stool. So steppingstoolcoaching.com is my website and you can send to steppingstoolcoaching at gmail.com to reach me. I have an offer for everybody who wants to reach out through. I think you can do it on my website. No, I have. And I've got the link. I'm going to put it in the show notes. Okay. You put the link in the show notes. But anyone who's listening, whether you, and if you're near the show notes or it's easier for you to remember my email, steppingstoolcoaching at gmail.com, you can just email me and say what you want. And it's the four steps of reducing stress. Yeah. Love it doesn't it. include the yoga nidra and it doesn't include the rest, but it's four steps to reducing your stress load. I think and that's fantastic. Document. Yeah. Thank you so much. I'm so glad you came on the show today. Very fun. Thank you so very much. Appreciate you. You've been listening to the Uncluttered Office Podcast, available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and www.productivitybydesign.com. I'm your host, Katherine Avery. If you like what you've heard, please share this episode with someone you think needs it. I would love for you to leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your reviews make my heart sing and can help even more people find the gifts in their productivity challenges. Thanks for listening and see you next week. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.